All right. Uh, friends, uh, welcome. Uh, I'm Father Ben, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to proclaim some good news today. Amen? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're in the middle of a series uh, called Living the Politics of Jesus in a Partisan America. Uh, friends, uh, I don't know if it's news to you, but we live in a contentious and a divided time. Uh, Christians are either getting sucked into the us versus them antagonisms and polarities of American politics, or uh, Christians, the other move that a lot of Christians try to make is we try to stay above it all. We try to ignore it. Uh, we try to be neutral. We just try to focus on our spiritual life. But neither of these options is faithful to the political vision that Jesus sets before us in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're studying and proclaiming. Together in this time, Jesus is giving us in the Sermon on the Mount nothing less than a new way of being human in the world. It's a new political order, a new way to order society based on what's real. And friends, today Jesus stands among us as king, king of the cosmos. And he makes claims about what reality is. He makes claims about where history is going. He speaks to us about how we relate together to each other, how we practice justice together, how we deal with money, how we deal with offenses, how we deal with enemies. The Sermon on the Mount is nothing less than Jesus' political manifesto. And today we focus on the words that Father Matt just read for us, Matthew 5, 21 through 37. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. One way to think about this uh, is last week Matt preached the thesis of Jesus by saying, and then this week is Jesus saying, for example. So just to review real quick, the thesis was this. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, not to set it aside, not to say that's not something you have to think about anymore. Instead, he came to fulfill it, which means that he understands it top to bottom completely. And he knows how to live it out in an integrated, connected, holistic way. And so him fulfilling the law means, I know what God was getting at, and I'm going to show you what he was getting at when he gave you Torah, which is how you are to live with one another, which is the politics of God. And so Jesus comes to fulfill it, and he calls us to a righteousness then that goes beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. And what that means doesn't mean more strict righteousness. It doesn't mean more rules than what they had. What he means is, that the Pharisees and the scribes compartmentalized the law into heavy and light, things that you really need to pay attention to and things that, well, who can pay attention to that? That's kind of hard to do, right? Especially if we're paying attention to this stuff. But the reason that they did that is what Jesus was uh, getting uh, amped up about <laughs> in the Sermon on the Mount. The reason they did it was not because they wanted to follow all the rules right. The reason the scribes and Pharisees set up this compartmentalization of the law is because they wanted to maintain their status as as tzedak, as law keepers, as righteous people, but also do whatever they wanted to the less powerful, to the weak, and to the vulnerable. And so they had a way of interpreting the law that meant I could keep the law, so to speak, at least the important parts, the heavy parts, by the same token completely miss the point of the law because of they're mistreating the weak and the vulnerable. And so the point of the law wasn't sort of following rules as we normally think about it. What was happening is that systems of injustice were being created where the powerful can oppress the vulnerable with impunity. That's the thesis. This week, Jesus says, for example, and that's where we go. We've got three 
four, well, four illustrations here. These are contextual pictures about what Jesus means. These are specifics about his political manifesto. Not new rules, not harsher rules, but contextual in, uh, illustrations of the kind of holistic, integrated life of loving justice that Jesus exemplifies for us and empowers us to practice together with each other and for the world. So friends, we proclaim this good news today in a world where human beings are oppressed. In a, in a, they're treated as resources to be used. Where the powerful exploit and oppress the weak, Jesus shows us God's way of being human together, the politics of love, where the powerful lay down their lives for the weak, the lever and they leverage their status to lift up the lowly, where all human beings are treated as the precious and holy image bearers that they are. Friends, where do you need to surrender to the politics of love today? I'll say this, there's lots of in-depth teaching in these passages that I can't get into in a sermon, a short sermon. Uh, Jesus understands the human soul like no other, and so because I can't get into everything I would like to in this sermon, um, specifically like things like, why is Jesus telling us to dismember ourselves? That seems weird. What's Jesus talking about when he talks about going into hell? That's a little interesting. What's Jesus talking about when he talks about divorce here? So there's tons of stuff that I want to talk about. So I want to encourage you to tune into Table Chat this week. We're going to talk about all that, all those things, all those uh, sticky, thorny questions. Um, if you don't know what that is, just uh, look for the Table Indie in your podcast player and subscribe, and you'll make sure that you get it. Uh, but friends, we're proclaiming this good news today. The politics of love, the first illustration that Jesus gives us is about hostility and contempt and anger and murder. He says the politics of love... Woo, takes us beyond hostility and contempt into humility and reconciliation. The heavy command here was, don't murder. But this excused all manner of ill treatment of those with power to those without power. As long as I refrain from murder, I can indulge my anger and use it as fuel to make your life miserable and to dominate you and to get what I want out of you. As long as I don't kill you, I'm free to, I'm free to treat you with contempt as less than human. I'm free to dismiss you and disregard you and your concerns and silence your voice. We see this every day in the news, don't we? On social media, sarcastic takedowns, eye rolling, scoffing, contempt and vitriol spilled in an effort to deny someone else dignity or in order to get my way. We see this everywhere. Especially the powerful, right? They can leverage their anger to dominate others and get their way. But you'll notice that the powerless are punished for their anger. Just ask a black man. He gets pulled over by the police if he's allowed to be upset by that. Ask a woman who expresses her anger what names she gets called. So again, this, isn't, it's, this is about anger, but it's also about the powerful using their anger to oppress and to exploit. And this is what Jesus is saying no to. This is the righteousness that goes beyond the scribes and the Pharisees that just says, hey, I didn't kill him. But Jesus says, no, this is not what that's about. We need to go beyond that. We need to go into the politics of love. God's new way of being human together, where the powerful lay down their lives for the weak and leverage their status to lift up the lowly, where we actively seek reconciliation harmony with each other, even to our own embarrassment and, our, and expense. 
because humans are created as precious and holy image bearers. And so Jesus says, treat one another in this way. How do you use hostility and anger to get your way and dominate others? Where do you need to surrender to the politics of love today? Second illustration Jesus gives us has to do with lust and divorce. The politics of love takes us from beyond abuse and exploitation of each other into fidelity and wholeness with and for each other. So the heavy command here, right, is don't commit adultery. But again, under the guise of not committing adultery, men still found ways to abuse and exploit and use women. Second time, I've almost lost my sermon. What would we do then? So again, the old righteousness, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the compartmentalized righteousness says, as long as I refrain from adultery, I can indulge my lust and use others as objects for my pleasure, disregarding their agency and humanity. As long as I give her the right paperwork, I can divorce my wife for any reason, forcing her into a life-threatening crisis. It's important, we'll get more into this in table chat, but it's important to remember Jesus is speaking to men in his day, who were the ones who were doing these divorce deals. <laughs> He's speaking to men who used the threat of divorce as a means of manipulation. It was a mechanism to lord it over women. So Jesus is protecting women here, those who are being exploited and abused by this system that men set up to maintain their power and privilege. And not much has changed, right? Thankfully, divorce isn't quite the same as it used to be, but women are still all around us reduced to objects to be used for the pleasure of men. Patriarchy is everywhere, and it affects everything. Which is why Jesus, again, goes beyond the surface level of, hey, did you commit adultery, into the heart. And says the, the righteousness of the kingdom isn't simply a matter of no adultery or give her the right papers. It's a politics of love. It's God's new way of being human together, where the powerful lay down their lives for the weak and leverage their status to lift up the lowly, where we practice costly fidelity to each other because we have experienced God's fidelity toward us, where we cultivate loving communion with each other, honoring one another as precious and holy image bearers who belong to each other and are connected to each other, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Friends, where is lust robbing you of wholeness and fidelity and communion? Where do you need to surrender to the politics of love today? One more illustration. Oaths. The politics of love takes us from verbal manipulation and control to honesty and authentic authenticity in our speech. The heavy command here was, hey, if you're going to use an oath, you better keep it. Keep the vows you make, especially if you swore on the temple or Jerusalem or the altar. The dynamic here is that the powerful of Jesus' day would use oaths to lend weight to their words so they'd be able to sway others to their point of view, to manipulate others, to lord it over them. Do you see a pattern here? <laughs> These aren't random examples. These are ways that the powerful had of keeping their status as righteous people while all the same acting against what God really wanted for humans. So as long as I, the thought here is, as long as I fulfill the vow I make, I can use my words to manipulate others so I can exploit and control them for my purposes. And friends, we've got a political climate today that does this, doesn't it? Words don't mean anything. You use them to try to get your way. 
You speak things that you have no intention of fulfilling. You speak things that you know don't have any bearing in real life. I'm not saying you specifically. I'm saying in general, we, right? We do this. We see this <laughs> in the news. We see racist words being used to, as weapons to incite violence against people of color. But this is also in each of us, right? We can see that on the news and we can think, ah, terrible people, politicians. I remember uh, when my kids were younger, I used to threaten to ground them for three months. Impressive, right? I had, I had, no, it never worked. Because they called my bluff. They were like, there's no way dad can ground us for three months. And there wasn't. I was just using it as a way to try to scare them into obeying me. Right? Oh my gosh, three months. Thankfully, it didn't work. That's an example of what I'm talking about. It's using words to try to overpower, try to take a vow. If you don't do this, I swear, I'll... Have you ever double-dog dared someone? It's kind of a humorous example, but it's similar, right? You're trying to get somebody to do something by, like, leveraging shame. I double-dog dare you. Do it. Do it. Or triple-dog, yes. I mean, have you ever infinity-dog dared somebody? Woo! I don't even know it is now. Have you ever given someone a compliment, hoping that they'll be more accommodating to the idea you're about to suggest? That's subtle, huh? All right, I apologize. I'm meddling. Let's keep it about the politicians. But friends, Jesus calls us beyond these word games, these ways that we use words to, manip to manipulate each other, beyond this surface-level righteousness and into the heart. Kingdom, kingdom of God righteousness, the politics of love, is not just about keeping your oath if you make one. But this is about God's new way of being human together, where the powerful lay down their lives for the weak and leverage their status to lift up the lowly, where we let our yes be yes and our no be no, because we're using words to communicate love to each other. We're using our words to advocate for each other. We're using our words to proclaim good news to each other, to live in trust and communion with each other as God's precious and holy image bearers. Friends, where do you use words to manipulate and to control and to try to get your way? Where do you need to surrender to the politics of love today? Friends, the politics of love that Jesus is beginning to lay out here, it definitely has a public dimension to it. It has a justice dimension to it. Jesus is declaring the righteous people of his day unrighteous which is a really big deal, because <laughs> they were powerful. He is publicly calling for repentance and justice to be done. And so I want to say part of our living the politics of love, living out the politics of Jesus in our day, is to say things like I imagine Jesus might say, which is something like this. You've heard it said that if no laws were broken, then nobody did anything wrong. But I say to you, that the fact that our laws have no way of charging three police officers in the death of Breonna Taylor, that's an indictment of our society. And we need to speak in this way. We need to take seriously what it means to call our, to, to take responsibility for each other and to call our society at large to repent. So that's part of it. But we can and must speak these things, but Jesus won't allow us to scapegoat those people out there. He also helps us see that we need to repent. We need to repent if we're going to live out the politics of love with each other. It has to start here. It has to start with us. We must be becoming a community that embodies the love and justice of God. So again, I invite you to think 
Where do I use hostility and contempt to dominate others? Where is lust robbing me of wholeness, fidelity, and intimacy? Where do I use words to manipulate others? What would it look like for you to surrender to the politics of love today? God's new way of being human together where the powerful lay down their lives for the weak and leverage their status to lift up the lowly. Where we live in loving communion with each other as precious and holy image bearers of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.